the most Christian cities are the Vatican, Jerusalem, Ephesus, Bethlehem, Ooh. France, what was that? France, uh, and Rome. If you would have Googled the same thing in the first century, Antioch was huge, it was influential, it was at the center of Paul's missionary work. Maybe you may be wondering, wait, if it was so big, how could I have missed this? My theory is that Antioch was so central to Paul's work that he spent so much time there that they didn't get their New Testament that way because they had Paul himself. 11, 19 to 30, has all the main themes of the book of Acts with a great development. So we have the Holy Spirit working through Christian witness to reach a new region with the gospel. Until Acts 11, Christianity was a Jewish movement. So in chapters 10 and 11, there's the introduction, starting to broaden that out a little bit with the conversion of Cornelius his close circle. But now, in Acts 11, 19 to 30, Gentile conversion, conversions plural, are the foundation for the church at Antioch. I think this shift is quite relevant for us, particularly as we think of the ongoing conflicts between Israel and Palestine. Since those brutal attacks of Hamas and then the ongoing that people have asked often is what is God's plan for that nation in the Middle East and, and for, for Israel? In the first century, the church was so Jewish that the question they asked was, does God accept Gentiles? He was made up mainly of Gentiles. And they were like, well, of course he does. And here we are. So, Today, because we are such a Gentile church, we ask a very different question than they would have in the first century. We ask, does God still have a plan for the Jews and for Israel? The book of Acts shows that God has the same plan for all people. The plan is Jesus. The church is a Jewish movement that includes Gentiles. God has one people, the body of Christ, made up of all languages and all and so still today, faith in the Jewish Messiah is God's plan for the Jewish people. Acts eleven nineteen through 30 highlights different activities or ministries of the church in Antioch. The commentator summarized these verses this way. The missionary proclamation of the church is empowered by God, driven by outreach across cultural boundaries, consolidated by competent preachers, supported by teamwork, and assisted by the solidarity of believers and churches. So, Acts 11, 19 through 30, focuses on Christian ministry. We're going to cover three of these. We're going to look at the beginning ministry in Antioch. We're going to look at the ministry of Barnabas, and then ministry between churches. So first we
we look at the beginning of the ministry in Antioch in verses 19 through 21. I'm also going to include verse 26 in there. So in the text, Acts 11, 19 through 21, describes the conversion of people in Antioch. This is a bit of information about Antioch. Antioch had about half a million people. so big, it was really big. It was uh, probably the third largest city in its day. But as I'm thinking about Brussels, it's it's close to a million. So so quite big for an old city. Um, It was a diverse city in religion, in worldviews, in social classes. It was a Greek city ruled by Romans, and about 5% of the population was Jewish. Archaeology has also revealed that there were ancient trading routes from China to Antioch. So you would have seen people from Asia in Antioch. And so walking in Antioch, in some ways, back in the first century, could feel like walking in Brussels today. It was where the money was and opportunity were found. Our present, our text presents the first time Christians go to a city to share the gospel with Gentiles. In Acts 11.20, Christians spoke to Hellenists, who were Greek-speaking Gentiles. Acts 11.21 reports that a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So Cornelius' conversion, previous to in Acts 10 and 11, teach us that Gentiles can be saved, but this leads now to a new kind of witnessing. It would have been different teaching Jews that Jesus was their long-awaited Messiah. Gentiles in Antioch had no biblical context for the gospel. And in Acts 13 and Acts 17, more detail is revealed about the difference in preaching to Gentiles as opposed to Jews. Sharing the gospel in Antioch would be much like sharing the gospel to people in Brussels. emphasis on Jesus being the fulfillment of the scriptures. But there was still a call to repentance from sin, the offer of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, because he died and rose again from the grave. According to Acts 11.26, the Christian movement in Antioch became so successful that it needed a name. It was, it was common back in the day religions to be tied with a people group. So you had the God of Israel or the Roman religion. But because followers of Jesus were so diverse, their name could not be connected to a particular nation. So they started to be called Christians. What they had in common was that they followed followed Christ. Another aspect that, that highlights the growth of the church in Antioch centered around the verb to send. Verse 22, the Jerusalem church heard of what was happening in Antioch, and so they sent Barnabas to them. Then, because of their rapid growth, the church in Antioch was able to send back. When they heard of the famine in Judea, they sent relief their way. So Jerusalem sent Barnabas to Antioch, and then Antioch, because of growth, 
Jesus, she was able to send back money to Jerusalem. And so this is the beginning now of a shift of influence away from the church in Jerusalem and to the church in Antioch. I'm going to offer two points of application for this first point. First, expect diversity. In Acts, the church is becoming more and more diverse. As we've been going through different chapters in Acts, it seems like one of the highlights every time a new group or a different kind of people is being saved. Today, Christianity is the most diverse religion. Um, These numbers are from 2010. But 36% of Christians are in the Americas, 26 in Europe, 24% Sub-Saharan Africa, 13% in the Asia-Pacific region. No other religion comes close to the diversity that Christianity enjoys. The Christian church is the largest religion. It is the largest multiracial, multinational, multicultural community that exists. Margaret Mead was a well-known American anthropologist in Vancouver in 1983. She witnessed thousands of Christians from all over the world who had gathered for the Sixth Assembly of the World Council of Churches. And she explained, you are a sociological impossibility to sort of diversity among Christians. Through Jesus, God has broken down barriers which divides us by reconciling us to himself, he also reconciles us to one another. Jesus is so glorious that when we look to him, our different opinions on politics, love for country, favorite sport teams become insignificant. This is a sign of a healthy church. Jesus becomes our all in all as we become close to people who are so different than us. Jesus has become our life, we become their life, and we can become as close to the people of the world that we have nothing in common with. Second application, in light of the similarities between Antioch and Brussels, is expect God to move in a city like Brussels. Our bent is probably to consider that because of secularism, people would not come to faith in Brussels. story. But the same could be thought as well in Antioch. It was a it was d- diverse in the same ways as we are today, yet Christianity grew. So when you think of witnessing in Brussels, remember this text, remember Antioch. Now second, we're going to look at the ministry of Barnabas in verses 22 to 26. The church in Antioch had grown so significantly that the church sent Barnabas from Jerusalem their way. This is what we know so far about Barnabas. From Acts 4.36, we learn that Barnabas means son of encouragement. It's a bit of debate, um, because it's really literally a son of a prophet. And so if we think of prophets who do, they comfort, they encourage, they can do lots of things as well. But even that Greek word, I'm going to butcher it, I should have asked our Greek brothers and sisters just to help, but paraklesios, paraklesios, okay, I'll stop. Um, it has a broad range of meaning. 
so sound of encouragement is valid, but it could also be sound of exhortation, sound of rebuke, sound of many things. But so we learn from Acts four thirty six, his name Barnabas, sound of encouragement. We also learn that he sold a field, gave money to the church in Acts nine twenty seven. When people were suspicious of Paul, the persecutor turned Christian. Barnabas defended Paul. So Barnabas was wealthy, generous, gracious, and courageous. So in verse 23 in our text, we read that he exhorts. The verb to exhort is the same root in the Greek as the word encouragement to describe Barnabas as the son of encouragement. It's also the same word that describes the Holy Spirit as a comforter. It's also the same word that describes Jesus as our advocate. So as you can see, this word is kind of hard to translate. It has a wide range of meanings. It has force to it. So whether you exhort, encourage, comfort, or advocate, you use words for an impact. There's also this aspect with all of these words that the subject of the verb it always has the object's best interests at heart. So whether it refers to tough love, speaking in someone's defense, just offering kind, soft, uplifting words, all of this is behind the meaning of Barnabas' name and what he was doing. And in a way, we could say Barnabas was Barnabas. We could see in his work a perfect combination of truth and love. The right combination, this right combination is so hard to attain and yet so needed. If all we do is affirm people, kind of cowardly, if we give advice too quickly, we are impatient and unloving. If all we do is affirm, people will love what we are saying, but we're not going to help change If we offer truth without love, people will just dismiss us. We need gentle exhortance. Often our biggest sin habits have been so ingrained in us that we are blind to them. So we need someone outside of us to love us and to challenge us. The text says Barnabas exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So we read in the following verse, verse 24, people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas did not go to preach the gospel to unbelievers, but it's almost as if indirectly that you have a community of encouragement, a community of truth and love. We have the kind of soil in which transformation happens and people come to the Lord. Next thing we read about Barnabas is that following the, the growth, he went to get Saul. Paul was the right person for the job. The Lord told him in Acts 9 that he would be God's instrument to carry God's name before the Gentiles. And according to verse 26, Paul, Barnabas and Saul remained in Antioch for a whole year to teach the church and many more. So this is another aspect of effective ministry 
we do not do it all ourselves. But humility leads us to recognize strengths in others, to entrust them with service and see God work in amazing ways through them. Now to, to apply this a little bit, um, Barnabas is going to continue to be a prominent character in Acts until Acts 15. The last we hear of him, Paul and Barnabas part ways. While Paul refused to take Mark, who had deserted them in the past, Barnabas wants to give Mark a second chance. So we learn overall about Barnabas, that he was generous with his money, he's one who encourages, he gives people the benefit of the doubt, he gives people second chances. He is full of the Holy Spirit, he urges people to remain faithful in their walk with Christ. So, Barnabas seems like a superhuman. Um, he's the kind of person I think we, we all wish we, we had people like that around us, and we just we need to be those kinds of people to one another. Life gets hard. We need those kinds of friends. But the key is not to try harder to be more like Barnabas. The text gives us a clue. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. So we are not to look to Barnabas to be more like Barnabas. We look to the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was able to encourage because he was full of the Holy Spirit, the real encourager. So how can we be full of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit fills all believers. So when the Bible speaks of believers being full of the Holy Spirit, there's no indication that an extra little dose of Holy Spirit is given to them. Rather, it speaks of the evidence of the Spirit's sanctifying power in the life of a believer. So for us to be full of the Holy Spirit, in this sense, we need to make ourselves available to God's work. We put ourselves in situations in which God has promised to meet his people. It's going to be boring. I keep coming back to this. What it means to be full of the Holy Spirit is follow Acts 2, 41 to 47. We need meals together, to be devoted to the scriptures, studying them together, to pray together, take communion together, worship together, get to know, care, bless one another. The Spirit works in us and through us as we commit to practicing these simple church activities that God has given to the church. And then like Barnabas, our ministry to one another becomes careful, kind, firm, and decent, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, third point in verses 27 to 30, we're going to look at ministry between churches. We're going to kind of use our church as an illustration of this. But, but first, so while Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch, prophets came and predicted a famine in the Jerusalem region, verses 27 and 28. The church in Antioch then sent relief to Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. So we've already seen um, care within a Christian community, particularly Acts 2, 41 to 47. What we see here is something new. We see Christians from one region also giving to help out Christians in 
a different region. There are many local churches, but Christ only has one church. So for God's kingdom to grow, we want to be healthy, and we also want healthy churches around us. We want more churches to start, and we want those churches to be healthy as well. And so we work together. A healthy church has healthy relationships with other churches. A healthy church is eager to give resources away for the sake of the gospel. What Jesus did on the cross, bearing our sins, paying for our punishment, was so generous that Christians are moved by Christ and become more generous. The gospel has a unifying effect. The gospel is by far the greatest news, and all those who are captivated by it are united by it. The gospel then becomes the framework through which we see all of life, and its beauty compels us to give sacrificially for gospel causes. I want to share a little bit about how we have benefited from this concept in general at Hope. Um, so first, just locally, um, before we started, the Book of Break family was part of another church, and from the beginning, that church knew about what we were going to do of planting a church, and that church was very supportive. They encouraged other of their members to join this church. A bit more broadly in Europe, we are part of a denomination, the International Presbyterian Church, which is a network of churches that exist to care for one another and also offer support and accountability. Now, even more globally, um, both Bacon's and Brink are part of a missions organization called Mission to the World, which serves as a missions organization for about 2,000 churches in the United States. Many of those churches give resources and money to help fund workers who can go throughout the world to start new churches. So because of where we are as a church in our journey, we're more like Antioch in verse 22. Um, where we, we're kind of on the receiving Barnabas stage in, in our short history. Um, but while we are more on the receiving end of things, we would like to start giving already from the beginning. And we'll keep you posted on this, but at last week's meeting, we, we shared that we want to start giving about 10% of our budget away so while we're still on the receiving Barnabas, we're still in verse 22. We want to start seeing what being in verse 26 could look like. Okay, to conclude. So in our verses, in Acts 11, 19 through 30, we learn about the birth of a very influential church in the first century, the church in Antioch. This marks a shift in the book of Acts. It is the first, like, majority Gentile church. Also, for the first time, we see that the Jerusalem church is not just sending, it's now also receiving. We learn that the gospel is for all, even those with no context for the Jewish or Christian message. We learn from Barnabas's winsome ministry some traits of ministry to one another. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit, generous, courageous, coming aside, alongside one another to urge each other and persevere in the faith. Finally, we see how churches are connected. 
There is just one team. This is the unifying effect of the gospel. God's church is unified in Christ by sacrificial giving. If we bless other churches, we bless God's church. So in a way, by blessing others, we bless ourselves. This is how united we are. The Jerusalem church sent Barnabas. Barnabas strengthened the church in Antioch. And then the church in Antioch was in a place where they could bless the Jerusalem church. So with this picture in mind as a people united to Christ, captivated by this generosity from the cross, we will see these elements in our church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. In so many ways, Antioch reminds us of Brussels. So I pray that you use this text to give us confidence to share the gospel with those who seem to have no context for the gospel message. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit as we seek you and seek to devote ourselves with the word, the sacraments, prayer to one another, that you would continue to form us in the image of your Son and help us to encourage one another. Finally, also help us to think beyond our church. Give us hearts for the gospel, sacrificial giving, church planting, even to bless Christians with 